Chapter 17 of Ashton Kirk, Investigator by John Thomas McIntyre This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pete Milan. Chapter 17 What Happened on the Road About half an hour after Ashton Kirk had left the Vale Mansion, a Maillard car drew up before the door. As it did so, an Italian laborer arose from the curb not far away, where he had been comfortably seated with his back against a tree. Then, throwing his arms wide in a luxurious yawn, he started leisurely down the street. Five minutes later, a veiled, dust-coated female figure descended the step. The driver of the Maillard was dismissed, and Miss Vale composedly took his place at the wheel. As the car started forward, the gauntleted hands guided it firmly. The steady eyes were set straight ahead, as the lever was pushed first to one speed and then another. And as the rapid pulse of the motor was borne along the quiet avenue, the Italian laborer calmly appeared from around a corner pushing a powerful-looking motorcycle before him. Another moment, and the machine was sounding its wild fusillade. The Italian sped away in the same direction as the Maillard, his battered soft hat set jauntily upon the back of his head, his gay-colored neckerchief streaming in the wind. The car kept to the avenue for a long time, but finally, in the far suburbs, it made a sharp turn to the left, and a few miles further on, shot into a broad highway that ran parallel with the railroad. Bending forward so as to offer the least resistance to the wind, the Italian's swarthy face relaxed at this. His fine white teeth showed in a smile. Cordova, I think, muttered he, in very good English. If not, then somewhere very near to it. Once upon the highway, which was hard, level, and practically deserted, the Maillard increased its speed. Eddies of dust curled in its wake. Its hum resembled that of a gigantic top. Its shining brass and smooth gloss made it look like a streak of light. But the motorcycle was of the best. Its compact, powerful mechanism answered bravely to each call that was made upon it by the dark-faced man in the saddle. Its explosions had merged into one long volley. At a small and not very firm-looking bridge, the Maillard slowed down. Apparently, for the first time, Miss Vale heard the cycle in the rear, for she turned and gave it a quick look. But the dust of her own progress hung thickly in the air, and she could not see very clearly. Passing the bridge at a low rate of speed, she turned again. The dark face of the rider, his battered hat and flying kerchief, seemed to satisfy her. For once more she gave attention to her course, and again the car increased its speed. A mile or two further on, there was a rather broken stretch of road, and she was forced to slow down. As the sound of her own vehicle diminished, she, as before, caught the volleying of the motorcycle. And as she turned, 
the eyes that looked through the veil were intent and searching. This time she appeared not so well satisfied, for upon reaching the end of the broken stretch, she drew her car to one side and stopped. As the hammering explosions of the motorcycle grew plainer and plainer, she sat rigidly erect upon her seat, her face turned directly ahead. But a close observer would have noted a slow movement of her right hand among the folds of the dust coat. And, if he was also an experienced observer, he would have immediately understood that Miss Vale did not venture alone and unarmed upon the road. However, the Italian never even gave her a glance as he came up. His machine flew by with a swirl, amid a crashing crescendo. Then it disappeared in the dust of the distance. But Miss Vale, when she once more resumed her journey, had not gone much more than a mile when she came upon the same swarthy son of the South and his vociferous machine. But the latter was now silent enough. It leaned against a fence, and its rider knelt beside it, a wrench in his hand, testing its parts carefully and intently. The Maillard was less than a quarter of a mile away, when Miss Vale caught the rapid series of explosions once more. With a quick glance ahead, she threw the lever forward, and the car tore along at a breathless rate. Fences ran by in a giddy, staggering line. Trees seemed to merge into one tangle of branches. The dust arose in solid towers behind her. However, she held to this but a scant five minutes. Her breath was short when she decreased the power. The hands upon the wheel shook a little. But her head was held erect. Her face was still purposefully set forward. Above the decreasing hum of her car came the swift, brave shocks of the motorcycle. But if there was a dread that fell to tightening at her heart, she showed it little. The Maillard still bore swiftly on. She did not once turn her head. A little further on there came into view a post with a series of white, pointing signboards that indicated a crossroads. When still a hundred yards from this, the car stopped once more. Again the Italian flew by. Again he vanished, this time around a bend beyond the crossroads. But once hidden by the bend, he stopped and got down. The smile again appeared upon his face. The brilliant teeth shone good-naturedly. A simple little ruse, he said to himself and one that I've seen used with effect more than once. Evidently, Miss Vale has her wits about her. Leaning against his machine, he waited and listened. From around the bend came the slow sound of the Maillard. Nearer and nearer it came for a time. Then it began to recede. At this the Italian remounted. The explosions of his motor were muffled as he went swiftly along upon the way by which he had come. At the crossroads he slowed up and examined the ground. 
Deep in the dust was the broad impress of the tires, showing the car to have taken the turn to the left. Then, swiftly, the cycle turned into the same road and took up the trail once more. Some three miles further on, the track veered back toward the highway along a badly cut dirt road. Slow going for a heavy car, said the pursuer calmly. It will not be long before I sight it again. There was a hard, beaten footpath at one side of the road. Taking to this, the man on the motorcycle found it easy traveling enough. Shortly after, he caught the laborings of the Maillard, as it made its way through the binding ruts. Then he slowed down and ran easily along the path, content, apparently, to keep in sound of the chase. But upon finally reaching the highway, he increased his speed until he sighted the dust of the car. This he hung to like a beagle, but never once allowed the car itself to come into view. At last the sounds of the Maillard ceased, and the pall of dust thinned and dissolved itself in the air. The motorcycle ran swiftly on until the car, now at a standstill, became visible. Then the Italian got down, took out a pair of field glasses, and swept the highway before him. What he saw must have satisfied him that there would be no more use for his machine for a time, at least. For he pushed it to a place where there was a break in a fence, and concealed it behind a musty-looking corn-shock left from the fall before. Then, placing the glass under his arm, he walked guardedly along the road in the direction of Miss Vale's car. Some distance further on, there was a tall swamp maple growing by the roadside. It was an easy task to mount into its branches from the top fence rail. Then, resting snugly in a high fork, he leveled his glass and proceeded to scan the scene before him. Miss Vale had descended from her car. Her veil was raised, and she was gingerly picking at the mechanism with hands sheathed in canvas gloves. With apparent intentness, she took out tools. Small parts were inspected minutely. And yet, for all that, there was something unusual in her manner. Every now and then she would lift her head, casually, so it seemed, and glance away across the fields. And always to the right, murmured the man in the treetop, after a little. At once, the big glass swept around in that direction. A house, added the watcher, with great satisfaction. The building was almost buried in a thick growth of trees. Its white sides and red roof shone in the sun through branches abud with April. Suddenly, in the midst of her labor, Miss Vale paused. Her manner changed. The tools were dropped. The parts lost interest. Facing the house, she yawned, with arms thrown wide after the manner of one much wearied with the task. Then she took off the gloves, unpinned her hat, and smoothed her hair. This was gone through with careful elaboration, and afterwards, 
there was a pause. The girl then gathered up the things, got into the machine, placed the hat upon the seat beside her, went careening away with never a backward glance. But the man in the tree seemed in no haste to follow. Instead, he covered the distant house with his glass and waited patiently. Five, ten, fifteen minutes passed, then half an hour, and finally an hour. At the end of that time, however, a figure emerged from the trees about the house and walked hastily toward the road. The eyes of the watcher glistened, his fine teeth shone in an appreciative smile. Reaching the road where the car had stopped, the newcomer, who was young, well-dressed, and rather good-looking, suddenly paused, stopped, and lifted something from the ground. He held in his hands the work-gloves of Miss Vale which she had dropped after taking them off. For a moment, the young man stood looking at them, as though hesitating what to do. Then he turned, went to the roadside, and placed them carefully upon the top rail of the fence. Then, trudging along on his way, he unsuspectingly passed beneath the maple, which concealed the man with the glass. When he was out of sight, the Italian slipped down the tree and ran lightly along the road to the place where the gloves lay. He took up one and looked within, but it was empty. However, in the thumb of the next was a slip of paper which bore a single line of writing. Tobin rang now. Studying this for a moment, the Italian made a copy of it. Then he slipped it back into the thumb of the glove and replaced both exactly as they were. After which he made his way back to the motorcycle and mounting, went flying toward the city. End of chapter 17